brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Thank you. Watch who you follow. Watch who you follow. Let's pause for a minute and ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, this is a special time. It it is so each and every Sunday. Help us not to lose that. Help us not to easily overlook it or forget it. A a time in which your people, your sons and daughters, assemble together in what you call the church. And we lovingly and humbly submit ourselves to your word, your truth, with a desire, Father, that we might hear you speak today in our hearts, that we might receive from you what you have for us, that you might powerfully move, Father, as we sit at your feet to give you glory in song and petition you in prayer and give our thanksgiving offering to you of how you have richly blessed us. And as we're here to encourage one another as, as fellow saints of the Lord, but, but Father, we, we are here because we believe that your word is eternal truth and that it's alive and that it's directly from you, that it's eternal. We are here because we believe that our lives, Father, should be molded by your word it, uplifted by your word, sustained by your word, that this this truly is for us spiritually our daily bread. It's It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome time. Church is not just a scheduled time frame on Sunday morning that's a routine like getting up in the morning and going to work is a routine. This is not a routine. This is not just a schedule. This is your people 
collectively coming together to first of all adore you, declare you, and then to hear from you. And we really, we miss that. We, it's just, oh, that was a good song. Oh, that was a good sermon. Oh, the sermon was too long. Oh, the sermon was too short. It was too hot. It was too cold. This was this. This was that. And we just need to stop, God, and just ask ourselves, what are we doing? Who are we coming before? Who are we talking about? Who are we talking to? Who am I speaking for? We we miss the wonder of it all and that's why we go home and we're not we're not filled, we're not satisfied, we're we're not happy. We leave critical instead of rejoicing. So we just ask, Lord, would you renew and revive? Refresh and restore. Speak to your people. Have your will in us today. Open our hearts and open our minds. And to you be the glory for what you will do. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Watch who you follow is basically what Paul is saying. The gist of it. You know, our, our ideas are not original. We don't come up, we don't, we don't really come up with new things and new ideas. You know, the Bible says nothing is new under the sun. They just kind of go in, in cycles and it might be new to us, but it's not new in and of itself. We, we, we follow others, and they themselves are following others. And so Paul is saying, watch who you follow. Watch, watch who you are attaching yourself to. Watch, watch who you are giving yourself to in terms of you, you, you're taking their leadership. You're, you're taking... Their stride is your stride. Who do you listen to? Who is it that when, when there's a situation or a, a circumstance or uh, the latest news report or whatever's going on and, and, and you're, you, are, you are interested in what this person says, you are interested in what they post, you, you want to know how this person stands, who, who is that? And why is that, that 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 person is so important to us? That, that we want our thoughts to be shaped by their thoughts. There's a, there's a danger in who you follow, but also there's an there's a openness, there's a, a positive in, in who we follow. And that's why Paul, that's, that's kind of what Paul has laid out before us today. And you know, sometimes we sometimes life gets in a bit of a jam and, and 
maybe we need a, a little help in some area of our life. We realize that we, we, we're kind of lacking in this or lacking in that, and, and, and we need some help. And so, so today, there seems to be a willingness to do that to, in our culture to say, hey, I need some help in this area. And so, so now we have all kinds of coaches, not just your regular, you know, normal athletic coach, but there's financial coaches and, and health coaches and life coaches and business coaches. And we, if we're in a little jam, we need a, a coach. And, we, and we'll listen and we'll buy their book and we'll attend their seminar and and we'll feel a little bit better about ourselves once we've been coached. But sometimes we're not in a jam. Sometimes we're in a crisis. And we don't need a pep talk. I mean, we're at a crossroads of it's, it's either, you know, it's either we're going to make it or we're going to completely fail. And, and we're in a crisis of life, a crisis of situation, and we don't need a coach. At that point, we need a counselor. We, we need somebody who specializes, and we have all kinds of specialized counselors. We have financial counselors, life counselors, all kinds of counselors. The question we're addressing this morning is, what do we do when we realize we need help in our spiritual life? That's where the jam is. That's where we're stuck. That's where we, we haven't been moving forward. That's where something is holding us back. We're, we're in a jam in our spiritual life. Or how about when we're in a crisis? When our spiritual life is in an absolute mess, when, 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 we, when we cannot see the way forward, when we do not know what to do, we do not know what to believe, life is upside down, we're in a crisis, everything seems hopeless, life seems like it's just going down the drain, we don't know what to do, and there's spiritual counselors Thank God for biblical counselors, by the way. I would encourage you, if you're looking for a coach or if you're looking for counsel, that you look for those who are biblically grounded, people who know how to take the Scripture. And we have biblical counselors, those who study and, and, and give their lives as a ministry to help be a biblical guide to those who are seeking answers. Those people know how to take the scriptures and, and, and show us how the Bible actually speaks directly to the situation that we're in. We tend to think when we are in a crisis, we're the, we, we're the only ones that's ever been in that crisis. The Bible doesn't address that crisis. This is a very unique situation. And what the biblical counselor is able to do is, is say, hey, this is actually common to the human condition. And the Bible actually addresses, the Bible is actually sufficient for life and salvation and here's what God would say to you in this crisis that you're in thank God for biblical counselors to help us know the Bible actually directly teaches and instructs and issues promises for what is troubling us I want us to see this morning that the Bible is our greatest spiritual counselor because the Bible is the word of God. God is our best counselor. God is our help. 
God is our fortress. God is our refuge. God is our strength in time of need, in time when we're in a jam or when we're in a crisis. God is our help. God is our strength. And here in Philippians 3, Paul is really taking on the role of spiritual counselor for us. If we will listen, Paul, and ultimately God speaking through Paul, this is the scripture that the Spirit gave Paul to write in this letter to the church at Philippi that became part of the united canon of Scripture because the Spirit was leading Paul to write these words when he wrote them down. And when people read this letter, they realized, man, I know Paul wrote this, but God is in this. And not just the church, the single church at Philippi needs to read this. Every church needs to read this because it's from God to the church. So if we will listen, we will find spiritual counsel and and spiritual help right here in this passage of part of, of what it means and how to live this life in a in a radical Godward Christ centered joy of the Lord. So we've we've come to Paul and we've asked him for some spiritual help, some spiritual guidance. And the first thing he says is find some examples to follow. So we're sitting with Paul in the in the in the counseling session and the first thing that he says You need to find some spiritual, godly, Christ-centered examples to follow. So his first words are, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. In other words, other people are also walking this way. So, so, so follow me and keep your eyes on those who are also walking in this path. In other words, Paul is saying, surround yourself with spiritual heroes, that's the first thing in our, in, our, in our spiritual life and in our spiritual crisis. Surround yourself with spiritual heroes. Find those men and women who are living all out for God. That God is first and foremost in their life. It's, it's clear. It's evident by, by their expression. It's, it's evident by their attitude. It's evident by their decisions, by their pursuits, by their language. That You know that God is central. Christ is everything. Follow them. That's what Paul is saying. Imitate them. Do what they do. Find those believers who have grounded their lives in Scripture and then pattern your life after them. They're grounding themselves in Christ, rooting themselves in Christ, grounding themselves in the Scripture. So simply do what they're doing. Find those Christians who clearly have Christ as the center of their life and follow their example. That's what Paul means here when he says, imitate me. He's not elevating himself. He's not boasting in himself. 
If you know enough about Paul, you know that Paul has a very realistic understanding of who he is. What he's simply saying here is there are believers who are on the track and they are running hard after Christ. Those are the ones you need to surround yourself with. Those are the ones you need to follow. Watch who you follow. Because we're all following someone or a a group of someone. We're we're all being influenced. We're all making decisions based on their decision. We're all all making a pattern of life. We're, We're all making a pattern of habits based on what these pattern of habits are. If we believe these people are really being satisfied and happy in life because of this, then we begin to do that so that we too can be happy and satisfied in life. And thus the explosion of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram because all of these people are so happy and they're doing all these things and they're going to all these places and they're buying all these things. So that's what I got to do. Watch who you follow. Take note of of who you listen to, who's, who's guiding you in your decisions about what's true, what's right, what's of God, what's not of God. If you want to experience the joy and the fullness of the Christian life of that intimate walk with Christ, surround yourself with those who have it. Let them be your guide. Let them be your example. And if you learn to walk the way they're walking, if if you learn to live the way that they are living, if you learn to see what they are seeing, you will soon know the joy and the fullness that they have as well. And throughout chapter 3, Paul has described for us who he's talking about, who to look for. And, and in these verses, if, if you look with me, we can really kind of boil it down to two. There's, there, there's two really key verses in, in chapter 3, and, and one of them happens to be our, our treasure verse for the month. So, so let's look at these. When, when Paul says, imitate me and, and, and keep your eyes on those who walk after the example you have in us. So who's he talking about? What, who are we looking for? What kind of believer are we looking for? Look with me at verse 8. This is a key verse to understand what characterizes these types of believers Paul is speaking of. Paul says, I count everything as loss. I count, I consider, I reckon, I have determined, I have decided, I have lived my life according to everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have found something far superior. I have found something far more satisfying. I have found something far more alluring and and thrilling, and it's Christ. And therefore, everything else comes in a long, long way down the list as second. So far down the list, it's, it looks like loss. I, I, I'm willing to lose everything. I have lost everything because Christ is supreme. 
So who are we looking for to follow? Look for those who are willing to let any and everything go if it comes between them and Christ. If it gets between me and my relationship with Christ, it's got to go. Whether it's a sinful thing or a good thing or a, 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 a thing that has no good or, good or bad thing to it, if it, becomes, if it gets between me and Christ, it's got to go. Everything, I count everything as loss. And Paul goes on to tell us, doesn't he, that he actually has lost things for Christ. That's someone to look for, isn't it? If we want to really know the, 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 a, a fresh, intimate fellowship, friendship with Christ, who are the people that we know who have actually lost something to cling to Christ, who have actually had to sacrifice and give and hurt. Look for that kind of person. Verse 8 is key. Verse 14 is another one. In verse 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul is saying is, look for those people who have so radically reoriented their lives and everything is about, everything serves this, this main goal that I, I am living this life for the time I'm going to meet Jesus. Everything about this life, whether it's 50 years or 60 years or 70 or 80 years, whatever it is about this life, whatever I have, whatever God has given me, I'm going to restructure it so that everything is in this pattern that I'm running, I'm pressing, I'm going to see Christ. So everything is in service to that. That's a radically different way to live, isn't it? I mean, ask ourselves this question. Have we really seen anybody living like that? I mean, we read verse 14 in Scripture and we say, wow, that's, that's super, Paul. That's awesome, Paul. But have we ever seen it? Because Paul is saying, there are believers like that. Find them and follow them. There are believers who have actually latched on to Christ so that everything in this life is servicing the day they meet him. In fact, that's really the only way to live this life. Everything else that takes first and foremost in our heart and in our affections is clutter. It gets in the way of the primary relationship we have, the most fundamental relationship we have as a believer is our relationship with God in Christ. So why wouldn't everything else in this life be in service to that relationship and in meeting him? Did, did you know this? The most important second of your entire life, the most important second of my entire life is the split second 
right after I die. That is the most important second of my existence. And yours too. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. I'm going to die. I don't like talking about it. I'm going to die. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Essentially, we die and then we stand before God. You die and you you close your eyes here and when you open your eyes, unbeliever, believer, all the same, when you open your eyes, you are before God. That second is the most important second in your entire existence. Because everything leading up to that second either says he is in Christ or not. Everything that happens after that second is for eternity. Did you know that it 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 it, it is upon me when, 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 I am, when I say open your Bibles and let's see what God has to say. It is upon me as a shepherd to prepare you for that second. For that one second. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I am running hard for that meeting with Christ. Now here's a question for us. Do you have an example like that to follow? Is there someone like that in your life? Can you look around in your life and say, wow, that's... She's one of those that's pressing. She, she's one of those that's counted everything as lost. He's one of those that's pressing. He's pressing towards Christ. He, he's counted everything as lost in, in pursuing Christ. Do you have someone like that in your life? Paul says they're, they're out there. Do you know someone like that? Have you seen that before? Have you felt that? Have you tasted that before? I've got a couple of, uh, I call them, I mean, they're my preaching heroes. The reason why I love their preaching so much is because I love their living so much. I love how their lives testify to what they say. It seems to me that they're pressing. It seems to me that everything about their ministry and life is is being reoriented around this moment when they stand before Christ. And so I want to hear what they have to say. I want to watch how they live. I want to receive instruction from them. I want to be encouraged by them. Here's another stirring question for us. 
not only do you see an example like that to follow, but here's another question. Are we an example like that for others to follow? When I asked that previous question, do you know someone like that to follow? Did anybody, did anybody in this big room think of you? Think of me. That's a stirring question, isn't it? I mean, am I the kind of believer that I'm verse 8, I'm verse 14, that's where I'm at, that's where I live, that's what I'm about, that's who I am, that's what flavors my life. Paul says, find those examples and follow. Secondly, he says, there's some, there's some wayward examples, there's some enemies of the cross to avoid, and he goes to that in the next couple of Verses in, in verse 18 and 19. And he says, you know, not only are we to surround ourselves with examples of the faith to follow, but we're also to be aware of those who would lead us away from the faith, who would distract us from pressing, who, who would hinder us from counting all as loss except Christ. So Paul says, be aware of those other voices. Be aware of those influential people, those big personalities that everybody wants to listen to, everybody applauds, everybody wants to be friends with, everybody wants to follow. Listen to what they're saying. Watch how they're living. Watch who you follow. Be careful who we choose to be our coach or our counselor Make sure we are, we are taking advice, we are being influenced, our thoughts are being formulated by those who have Christ as their chief goal. Paul says there are many. Did you, did you hear those words we read just a few moments ago? He says, for many. You got to surround yourself with people who are all in love with Jesus because there are many and he says, I tell you this all the time. I keep telling you this because you've got to be aware of it. We've got to be aware of it. And he says, I'm telling you this even with tears that, that they walk. That means they live as enemies of the cross of Christ. They live their lives as enemies of the cross of Christ. Listen to that language. Think about that and let that settle in. Their lives, their lives are a are a testimony that they defy the cross. And Paul says it brings him to tears and it should do the same for us. It's heartbreaking to see people living their lives with little to no regard for Christ who happens to be our only hope, our only salvation, the only way, the only truth, the only life. The only answer, the only help. There are two kinds of people, I believe, who defy the cross. There are those who deny the salvation of the cross, and it's fairly easy to recognize an outspoken unbeliever. They're, they're pretty easy to see because they don't mind you knowing that they're not a believer. And that's okay. You want them to be honest. 
So it's just a matter of point that it's easy to recognize those who are not in the faith. Here's where we have to show some spiritual maturity, though. We can recognize that somebody's not in the faith, but if they're powerful enough and influential enough and have enough followers, we still want to hear what they got to say. Why? Why does the fan base determine who we want to let influence us when we're claiming Christ? So Paul says, be be aware of those who will distract you from this path. There are those who deny the salvation of the cross, but the second one is those who deny the power of the cross. And that's a little more difficult to recognize. These are those who claim to be a part of the faith. These are those who claim to be in the church, who claim to be followers of Christ, who claim to love God, to know God. Yet their walk, their lives, their ideology, their promotion, the way they live denies the cross, defies the cross in fact. Their allegiance is clearly not Christ. Their attitude, their words, their behavior, their actions, their statements, their answers have nothing to do with Christ. They claim a relationship with Christ, but by their deeds they actually deny him. Paul says, many walk this way. That's why you you got to surround yourself with people who have this kind of example. Verse 8, verse 14. Find them and run after them. Run with them. Follow them. Let them be your example. Because there's many, 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 many other examples. It's heartbreaking to see the world... It's heartbreaking. You know, the news is not often um, discouraging to me as much as it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see the the world filled with deniers of the cross. It's heart-wrenching when you find them in the church. Those who claim to have embraced the cross and, and yet have never died to self, in fact, are enemies of the cross because their lives deny its power and its sufficiency and its worth. Jesus is just a ticket to heaven and nothing more. The reason why Paul uses this language, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is not a trinket. The cross of Christ is a power of God to to save, to deliver, to transform, to to make new. Paul says, I'm I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel. So if we say I'm a Christian and, and yet in this area of our life, we say to Jesus, hands off. I'm gonna do what I want to do and not what God says do, 
We deny the sufficiency and the transforming, saving power of the cross. And quite frankly, we have a lot of that in the church today. God's pleasure and God's glory and God's commands are way down the ladder in terms of our perspective and schedule and priority. Paul says, beware of the enemies, actually enemies of the cross. How do you identify these enemies? Paul gives us three descriptions in verse 19. He says, first of all, their their God is their belly. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, what does Paul mean? That all believers are healthy and all unbelievers are overweight? No, that's not what he means. What Paul means is that for the, the unbeliever lives his life for his own interest. For his own selfish pleasure. Whatever he desires, that's what he does. His life is reoriented around himself. His desire is his God. Man's approval is his pleasure. His God is his belly. That's why the world's counsel to follow your heart is so deceptive. Our hearts are tainted and corrupted with sin. They don't lead us to God. They lead us to destruction. The scripture says we are either slaves of God's pleasure or we are slaves of our own selfish pleasure. We're either slaves of God or slaves of sin. That's Romans 6. That's straight out of the inspired word of God. We are slaves one way or the other, either to God and his glory or to ourself and the pleasures of our life and body and mind, which we could say heart. Remember last week, Ephesians 2, when Paul described what we used to be as unbelievers? We used to follow the course of this world. We used to be influenced by the prince of the power of the air. We used to just, we used to just follow the pleasures of our minds and of our bodies. We used to just live for our God was our belly. Desire, my desire, what I want, good or bad, doesn't matter what God says about it, what I want is king. Their God is their belly. Secondly, he says, they glory in their shame. That means they take pride in their sin against God. They, they defend it. They rationalize it. They twist scripture to make room for it. They come up with any and every justification to have a loophole for them and what they want. And they'll come there. I mean, we are so good at justifying our sin. We'll come up with a list of all kinds of spiritual sounding reasons. It's interesting how those who grow up in the church are so able to take Scripture and argue against the will of God, but find it very difficult to take the Scripture and humbly receive and rejoice in the will of God. Their 
Those who glory in their shame do whatever they need to do in order to keep living the way they want to live because that's what's king. They have no interest in living for the glory of God. They have no interest in denying self. They have no interest in humbling themselves. They have no interest in sacrificing and losing. They have no interest in verse 8. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. They set their minds. They set their minds. Listen to, those, listen to that language. They set their minds. That, that is, they focus their lives. They focus their heart on earthly things. It's hard to convince people that you are of heaven When all we are about is the earth. The way they live their lives has no regard for eternity. No regard for that second I spoke of earlier. They're not longing for Jesus. Their life is not centered on Christ. So they seek their happiness and satisfaction on whatever they can get or do or go or have on this earth. They set their minds on earthly things because that's where their satisfaction lies. That's where their salvation lies. That's where their hope lies. So they just keep accumulating and, and, and reaching and running and pressing. They're, they're pressing just not for Christ. They set their minds on, on earthly things. Paul says, don't follow them. In other words, and Paul is saying, remember, Paul is saying, I'm telling you this with tears. Paul's not going off on people. Paul is heartbroken that this is everywhere. And he says, don't follow them. Yet, yet, yet I, I'm amazed in, in, in our culture today how... how how we are in regard to people who are not following hard after Christ. How we are so easily influenced by influencers that are not running hard after Christ. I mean, when it comes to the things of God and when it comes to life and when it comes to salvation and when it comes to God, to what God has said, why does it matter how popular they are, how many records they've sold, how many baskets they can shoot, how many goals they've made, how, many, how much of an MVP they are, how beautiful they are, how many followers they have, but yet it does. We can't resist just click, 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 scroll, 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 scroll. And we're good at judging those that don't quite line up with us, aren't we? We're not heartbroken. We're critical. We applaud those that, we, that agree with us. And we criticize those who don't. Paul says, don't follow them. And here's why. Last point. It matters who you follow because it matters where you end. It matters who you follow because it matters where you end. Notice Paul says earlier in verse 19 that, that those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, he says their end is destruction. 
It appears like they have it all together. It appears like they have all the answers. It appears like life is just following after them, but their end is destruction, which means eternal ruin. Separation from God awaits all those who deny Christ. It doesn't matter the fame, the beauty, the wealth, the influence, the philanthropy, the charm, the ability. Those who give themselves to sin and self in the the end will be undone by sin and self. But Paul says, don't follow them. Don't heed their advice. Don't seek their counsel. Don't follow their path. Don't be lured into their opinions. Avoid them as examples. Uh, uh, Avoid those who who criticize and and complain. Uh, Avoid those whose whose lives are uh, making excuse for immorality. Avoid those who deny the power of the cross. Because he says there's there's another path which leads to another end. And that's what he brings up in verses 20 and 21. Here's where the end is for those who are pressing hard after Christ. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong. That's why our minds are not set on earthly things. That's why we seek the things that are above and set our mind on things that are above. Colossians 3. Why? Because that's where our citizenship is. That's where we belong. That's where we are headed. That's that's our end. That's our home. This is just a a temporary place in which we're, we're traveling through seeking to bring others with us. Our citizenship is in heaven. And secondly, the end for us as believers. And from it, from heaven, from glory, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end for those who are pressing to Christ. It's Christ himself. We are waiting for Christ, longing for Christ. Can't wait to be with Christ. So we are running to Christ and he's going to return and run right into us. And we're going to be united with our glorious Savior. And so automatically then the question comes, well, how is that going to be? I mean, how is that going to happen? Because here I am, I'm, I'm earthly. I don't want to be earthly, but I'm, I'm earthly. How am I going to embrace and welcome my Savior who is eternal, who is infinite? Paul says in verse 21, because when Christ returns, he's going to make us a welcome. He's going to make us ready to welcome him. Verse 21, who will transform our lowly body. Anybody want to say amen to that one? Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. There is a coming transformation that's going, believer, is going to blow your mind. When all of a sudden Christ returns and he's made you like he is in his glorious body. Can you imagine waking up to that? 
And it says, how's he gonna do that? By, by his power, he is God. By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. That's the resurrection power we talked about last week from, from John 11 with Lazarus and us and the resurrection. I mean, can you imagine Lazarus waking up in the tomb? He's been lying there, he's been dead. Remember, he's dead and Jesus calls out to him and he hears. He's dead and he hears and he wakes up. Can you imagine that? Life entered a lifeless body. Now, can you imagine our own resurrection on the last day? Whether we are alive and walking around or we've already passed, can you imagine that resurrection? Can you imagine in a split second Christ transforming our body to be in accordance with his body so that we might be with him forever? Can you imagine the the shock and awe of that? I mean, what if you bump into Lazarus, you know, on the way up? He's going to be resurrected again. And I mean, there's this look of absolute shock on your face, and Lazarus says, don't worry, I've done this before. It's, it's going to be okay. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, when Christ returns, there will be a cry of command. Remember when Jesus stood outside of Lazarus' tomb, and he said, Lazarus, Come out, he commanded him to come out, and he came. When Jesus returns, the Bible says there's going to be a cry of command. I remember my grandfather talking to me one time, and he said, Will, what do you think that's, what do you think that's going to be? What do you think he's going to say? What do you think is the command? I said, I don't know, Grandpa. He said, I think every one of us who are in Christ are, are going to hear our name, just like Lazarus did. Can you imagine that? I'm dead, lifeless body. Can you imagine? Will, come out. And here my body meets my spirit and I'm made and glorified to be with Christ forever and ever. Here's the point for Paul. Watch who you follow. Pay attention to where they are headed. Paul says we're headed to Jesus Come with us. We're headed to Jesus. Come with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, would you so work in our hearts and lives as believers that we become those kinds of people who are pressing. We become those kinds of people who are counting everything is lost for the sake of Christ. We become those kinds of people that everything about us is flavored toward that one second when we meet our Savior. Oh, would you so do that in my life and in my heart and in this church? Father, if we are gathered, if we are sitting and and listening to this passage today, listening to this preacher today, and we are apart from Christ, Lord, would you reveal that to us in such a powerful and present way that we can put aside the religion, we can put aside the spiritual talk, we can put aside the the kind of faking it and hoping we making it, We, we can put aside the denying of the cross and embrace it. Embrace it for life, embrace it for salvation, embrace it for eternity, embrace it for Christ. Lord, would you do that work today among us, and we're going to give you the glory in Christ's name, amen.